So let's just uh, open our Bibles. We're going to be opening in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, uh, verses 6 through 14. And then would you stand out of reverence for God and for his word? First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. They are the Israelites, our example. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition or for our warning. Upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. In other words, we are vulnerable to these things, to be on guard and to take heed. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my beloved or loved of God, flee from idolatry. And Father, we... Hear your voice in the midst of this, Lord. As a father myself, I can remember the times that I warned my children, Lord, not because I had great joy in it, but because I wanted to protect them, Lord. And God, I pray that we would understand your love for each and every one of us, Lord. That you are the banner that flies over each of us, Lord. You're the one who protects us. You're our rear guard, Lord. You are our strong tower, God. And yet you love us. And so help us to sense your love this morning, Lord. I pray that our hearts are open before you and honest, Lord, that we would respond rightly to the things that you want to say to each one of us. Again, we thank you for your love for us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Paul writing, he speaks about a warning against something that could be avoided, something dangerous, the warn. The word is the Greek word, nethesia, and it means an admonition. And so why does God warn us? Well, the writer of Hebrews, which I believe is Paul, says, For they as human fathers chastened us as seemed best to them, but our heavenly Father chastens, corrects for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. And so God has a reason for the ways that he corrects us. And so these things he does so that he can protect us. A few statements from some leaders, you could probably call them theologians, men of God. Uh, One of the statements is there is no possible escape from the holiness of God. You are going to have to deal with it at some point. R.C. Sproul. The doctrine of the carnal Christian has destroyed more lives and sent more people to hell than you can imagine. Do Christians struggle with sin? Yes. Can a Christian fall into sin? Absolutely. Can a Christian live in a continuous state of carnality all the days of his life, not bearing fruit, and truly be Christian? Absolutely not. 
to escape another uh, statement, to escape the error of salvation by works, we have fallen into the opposite error of salvation without obedience, A.W. Tozer. True salvation always produces an abiding change of nature in a true convert. Therefore, whenever holiness of life does not accompany a confession of conversion, it must be understood that this individual is not a Christian, Jonathan Edwards. There was a day when I died, died to myself, my opinions, preferences, tastes, and will, died to the world, its approval or censure, died to the approval or blame even of my brethren or friends. And since then, I have studied only to show myself approved unto God, George Mueller. You must be divorced from your sin or you cannot be married to Christ, Charles Spurgeon. Very strong statements. We may say these things are legalistic, and I don't believe that they are. So why does God hate sin? Why does he warn us? He writes in Deuteronomy 12, Take heed to yourself that you are not instead to follow them, after they are destroyed from before you, and that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? I also will do likewise. He goes on to say, you shall not worship the Lord your God in that way for every abomination to the Lord, which he hates, they have done to their gods. For they burn ever, even their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it or take away from it. Paul writes in Titus, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And so this morning, we want to take a look at sin and how God sees it and how it affects our lives and our families and their pervasiveness and the destructive force of it. There are times that we believe that there are no consequences for our sin, and the Bible does not teach that. Jesus, speaking in John 10, says, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. One statement from Dietrich Bonhoeffer once wrote, Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. It's grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. He was a pastor, a German theologian, a Nazi dissident. The Cost of Discipleship was a book that he wrote. He, he was born on February 4th, 1906. He died April 9th, 1945 on the gallows. He was hanged because he was of his vocal opposition to Hitler. The grace we have received came at a very high price. The scripture says that we've been bought with a price. The blood of Jesus Christ, and as we sing, it is an amazing grace, deserving of our love and obedience. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. Again, the warning from Paul. 
Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Let him who thinks, the Greek word dokio, it means to assume that he stands, believing that we're good right now. It couldn't happen to me. He says, take heed. The warning, behold, beware, discern and understand. And when God gives warning, we must follow God's leading in the midst of that. To see as God sees, dokio, lest you fall. And can we fall? Even the best of, I, of us can fall. Uh, one of the things that Pastor Tony often says, the, the best of men are only men at best, you know. So I can think back over the past few years of men esteemed as great men of God who have fallen. Great apologists. Great pastors of congregations. Yet disqualified. First Corinthians 9, Paul writes these, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. Very sad to see a man, a leader fall, and those that he takes with him, sometimes splitting total congregations. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. And so what can happen as we fall into sin? Paul writes that these are examples that we should Uh, benefit from that we should look at them and say this is something that i can learn from so for our admonition paul writes first corinthians 10 11 for our warning the holy spirit giving testimony i want to go and look at a few of these examples one of them would be in the book of numbers that's the fourth book of the bible Um, and we're going to take a look at that numbers chapter 22 the fourth book of the bible And I'll read. We're going to begin at verse 1. If you'll bear with me, I'd like to read a few chapters here. Balaam was an outsider. God warns Israel not to have soothsayers among them in Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 14. Again, Deuteronomy uh, speaks of that. God gave a warning there. They didn't heed the warning. And now in Numbers chapter 22, we're going to see Balaam enter the scene. Numbers chapter 22, verse 1. Then the children of Israel moved and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. So Moab said to the elders of Midian, Now this company will lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at this time. Then he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor at Pethor, which is near the river in the land, or the river Euphrates, of the sons of his people to call him, saying, Look, a people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth and are settling next to me. Therefore, please come at once, curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. 
For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the diviner's fee in hand, or the payment. And they came to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balak, and he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I'll bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. Then God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? So Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Look, a people has come out of Egypt, and they cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. Now, Balaam, he was a soothsayer. He practiced divination. He's mentioned in seven books of the Bible from Numbers through Revelation. Yet he heard from God. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Bala, Go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. And the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Then Balak again sent princes more numerous and more honorable than they. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Please let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will certainly honor you greatly, and I will do whatever you say to me. Therefore, please come, curse this people for me. Then Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Now, therefore, Please, you also, stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men come to call you, rise up and go with them. But only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. Then God's anger was aroused because he went, and the angel of the Lord took a stand in the way as an adversary against him. And God knew Balaam's heart, and it was about the money and what he'd get. And because of that, he was angered. And he was riding on his donkey, Balaam was, and his two servants were with him. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and the donkey turned aside out of the way, and went into the field. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards, with a wall on this side and a wall on that outside. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place, where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. Wow. And she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have abused me. I wish there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. 
So the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden? Ever since I became yours to this day, was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, No. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you, because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside from me. These three times, if she had not turned aside from me, surely I would have also killed you by now and let her live. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men. But only the word that I speak to you, that you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. Now, when Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went to meet him at the city of Moab, which is on the border at the Arnon, the boundary of the territory. Then Balak said to Balaam, did I not earnestly send you calling for you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? And Balaam said to Balak, Look, I have come to you. Now have I any power at all to say anything? The word that God puts in my mouth that I must speak. So Balaam went with Balak, and they came to Kerjeth Huzoth. Then Balak offered oxen and sheep, and he sent some to Balaam and to the princes who were with him. So it was the next day that Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high places of Baal, that from there he might observe the extent of the people. And Balaam said to Balak, Build seven altars for me here. Prepare me here seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did as, as Balaam had spoken. And Balak and Balaam offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Then Balaam said to Balak, Stand by your burnt offering, and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me, and whatever he shows me, I'll tell you. So he went to a desolate height, and God met Balaam. And he said to him, I have prepared the seven altars, and I have offered in such an altar a bull and a ram. And the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. So he turned to him, and there he was standing by his burnt offering, he and all the princes of Moab. And he took up his oracle, or his parable, and said, Balak, the king of Moab, has brought me from Aram, from the mountains of the east. Come curse Jacob for me, and come denounce Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how shall I denounce the one the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. There are people of dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob, or number one-fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous, and let my end be like his. Then Balak said to Balaam, What have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, and look, you have blessed them bountifully. So he answered and said, Must I not take heed to speak what the Lord has put in my mouth? And Balaam brings a second prophecy. Then Balak said to him, These come with me to another place, which you may see them. You shall see them only, the outer part of them, and shall not set See them all, curse them for me from there. So he brought him to the field of Zophem, to the top of Pisgah, and built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. And he said to Balak, Stand here by your burnt offering while I 
meet the Lord over there. And the Lord met Balaam, a soothsayer, and put a word in his mouth and said, Go back to Balak, and thus you shall speak. So he came to him, and there he was standing by his burnt offering. And the princes of Moab were with him. And Balak said to him, What has the Lord spoken? Then he took up his oracle, and he said, Rise up, Balak, and hear. Listen to me, son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, not a, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Behold, I received a, a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. So he has not observed iniquity in Jacob, take note, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. This is something that Balaam will try and actually do. I see him, but not now. The Lord his God is with him, and a bout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt, he goes on to say. He has strength like a wild ox. For there is no sorcery against Jacob, nor any divination against Israel. It now must be said of Jacob and of Israel, oh, what God has done. Look, a people rises like a lioness and lifts itself up like a lion. And it shall not lie down until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the, of the slain. Then Balak said to Balaam, neither curse them at all nor bless them at all. So Balaam answered and said to Balak, did I not tell you saying all that the Lord speaks that I must do? And Balaam gives a third prophecy. Then Balak said to Balaam, please come. I will take you to another place. Perhaps it will please God that you may curse them for me from there. So Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor that overlooks the wasteland. And Balaam said to Balak, build for me here seven altars, prepare for me seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had said and offered a bull and a ram on every altar. Chapter 24. Now when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times to seek to use sorcery. But he set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam raised his eyes and saw Israel encamped according to their tribes, and the Spirit of God came upon him. Then he took up his parable and said, The utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened, the utterance of him who hears the words of God, who sees the visions of the Almighty, who falls down in eyes, with eyes wide open. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel. Like valleys that stretch out, like gardens by the riverside, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters, he shall pour water from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings them out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox. He shall consume the nations like enemies. He shall break their bones and pierce them with his arrows. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. Lion, and as a lion who shall move or rouse him. Blessed is he who blesses you, and cursed is he who curses you. Balak's anger was aroused against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, and look, you have bountifully blessed them these three times. Now, therefore, flee to your place. I said I would greatly honor you, but in fact, the Lord has kept you back from honor. This was a lie from Balak. So Balaam said to Balak, did I not also speak to your messengers whom you sent to me, saying, if Balak were to give me this house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord to do good or have uh, of, of my own will? 
What the Lord says, that I must speak. And now indeed I am going to my people. Come, I will advise you what this people will do to your people in the latter days. And his fourth prophecy. So he took up his oracle or his parable, the utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor. Listen to this. And the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened. The utterance of him who hears the words of God and has the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the visions of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. Listen, this is a prophecy that God the Father gave to Balaam. And it is of Jesus Christ. And this man is a soothsayer. He says in verse number, Numbers 24, verse 17, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. We know when Jesus was born, there was a star that was over, over top of him. Actually, there was a scepter that rose in the heavens. Psalm 19 says the heavens declare the glory of God. In all of these things that Balaam heard the word of God, he's mentioned in seven books of the Bible. And thank you for uh, being patient in the midst of uh, the reading of uh, Numbers chapter 22 through 24. Balaam's counsel in, against uh, Israel. And what happened with Balaam? He appeared to stand. He was a man that heard God. He was a man that stood with God. He was, fell down before him with his eyes wide open. He's mentioned in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 23. In Joshua chapter 13 and 24. In Nehemiah chapter 13 he's also mentioned. And what was the outcome of Balaam and his counsel? Well, if we were to look at uh, chapter 25 in Numbers, we would see. Numbers 25, now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. The Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, every one of you kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel, who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand and uh, he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through with the man of Israel and the woman through her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. Listen, and those who died in the plague were 24,000 Israelites because of the counsel of Balaam. And just to move forward in Numbers chapter 31, verses 1 through 8. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel. Afterward, you shall be gathered to your people. So Moses spoke to the people, saying, Arm some of yourselves for war, and let them go against the Midianites to take vengeance for the Lord on Midian. A thousand from each tribe of all the tribes of Israel you shall send to the war. So there were recruited from the divisions of Israel 1,000 from each tribe, 12,000 armed for war. Then Moses sent them to war, 1,000 again from each tribe. He sent them to the war with Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, with the holy articles and the signal trumpets in his hand. And they warred against the Midianites, just as the Lord commanded Moses. And they killed all the males. They killed the kings of Midian with the rest of those who were killed. 
Evi, Rechem, Zer, Hur, and Reba, the five kings of Midian, listen, and Balaam, the son of Beor, they also killed with the sword. Down to verse 15 in uh, chapter 31. And Moses said to them, have you kept all the women alive? Look, these women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. The counsel of Balaam led to many deaths. He looked like a man that would stand. And he's mentioned in seven books of the Bible. In Nehemiah 13, the scripture says, On that day they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and it was found that, written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God. Because they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. So no Ammonite or Moabite should come into the assembly of God. Would the counsel and sin of Balaam in Israel cause great destruction? 24,000 Israelites would die. All the Midianite men, all of the Midianite women who knew a man intimately who caused the children of Israel to trespass would be put to death. Utter destruction came from Balaam. This was a man who heard from God himself. The utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor. The utterance of the man whose eyes are opened. The utterance of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. The Spirit of God came upon him, the Scripture says. And our verse from 1 Corinthians, Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. His eyes were opened by God. He heard the words of God. He sees the vision of the Almighty who falls down before God. This is a man who encountered Jesus Christ while on the back of a donkey, face to face with the angel of the Lord. This is a theophany, a Christophany in the Old Testament, an appearance of Christ right before Balaam. The, Balaam, the Lord opened Balaam's eye and saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword, his hand, he bowed his head and, and fell flat on his face. Yet he still sold God out. He still sold him out. Numbers 24, 13, if Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord to do good or bad of my own will. What the Lord says, that I must speak. Yet he betrayed God and his people. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. He could not curse God's people, but he devised a plan to cause them to sin. He lured them away from God, using the Midianite women to commit fornication, adultery. He led God's people away from him, and this is why God was angered. And the consequences of our sin can be devastating. God points to those who have led his people astray. I want to look at another called uh, Jeroboam uh, in your Bibles, 1 Kings chapter 12. It's the 11th book of the Bible. It's after 2 Samuel, if you want to follow 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 25. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim and dwelt there. Also, he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to the Lord. Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. 
Therefore the king asked advice, made two calves of gold, and said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods. Does this sound familiar? <laughs> you might want to look back to Aaron, who built the golden calf in the, uh, while Moses was on, up getting the Ten Commandments. In the presence of God, Aaron was building a golden calf. He was the priest of God. And yet he led his people astray. He set up one in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. Now this thing became a sin for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. He made shrines on the high places and made priests from every class of people who were not of the sons of Levi. He led God's people away from him to worship idols, calves of gold. The king of Israel did this. Worship was to be in Jerusalem in 1 Kings 13. After this event, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way, but again he made priests from every class of people for the high places. Whoever wished, he consecrated him, and he became one of the priests of the high places, not Levites as God commanded. And this thing was the sin of the house of Jeroboam. And if you would take note as you go through the Old Testament, you will consistently see the sins of Jeroboam, so as to exterminate and destroy it from the face of the earth. Jeroboam would be destroyed, along with many others. 1 Kings 14, 7. Go tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord God of Israel, because I exalted you from among the people and made you ruler over my people Israel, and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you, and yet you have not been as my servant David who kept my commandments and who followed me with all his heart to do only what was right in my eyes. But you have done more evil than all who are before you. For you have gone and made for yourself other gods and molded images to provoke me to anger and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam and I will cut off from Jeroboam every male in Israel bond and free. I will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as one takes away refuse until it is all gone. God says, I will take you out as trash. The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Jeroboam and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field, for the Lord has spoken. And God would take Jeroboam's life along with 500,000 Israelites, those who fought against Judah. And Jeroboam is mentioned much through the Old Testament. The scripture says, because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he sinned and which he made Israel sin. He called God's people to worship false gods. Causing God's people to sin and be separated from God. I want to take a look at one more person and his name is Eli. The sins of Eli, the priest of God, and his sons Phinehas and Hophni. His sons caused the Lord's people to transgress in 1 Samuel chapter 2. After 1 Samuel 1. <clears throat> After the book of Ruth and before 2 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 24. They were eating of the sacrifice his sons were before God and sleeping with the women at the door of the tabernacle. And God would judge them. 1 Samuel 2, verse 27. Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, God's priest, to offer upon my altar to burn incense and to wear an ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling place, and honor your sons more than me? 
to make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people. Therefore, the Lord God, because of these things, the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now, the Lord says, far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming that I will cut off your arm and the arm of your father's house, so that there will be not an old man in your house. And you'll see an enemy in my dwelling, despite all the good which God does for Israel. There shall not be an old man in your house forever. But any of your men whom I do not cut off from my altar shall consume your eyes and grieve your heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die in the flower of their age. God's prophetic word. Now this shall be a sign to you that will come upon you two sons of Hophni and Phinehas. In one day they shall die, both of them. Then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a sure house and he shall walk before my anointed forever. And God does what he said in 1 Samuel 4, verse 12. Then a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line the same day and the same came to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. Now when he came, there was Eli sitting on a seat by the wayside watching. For his heart trembled for the ark of God. When the man came into the city and told it, All the city cried out. When Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, What does the sound of this tumult mean? And the man came quickly and told Eli. Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were so dim that he could not see. Remember, this was the priest who raised Samuel. Then the man said to Eli, I am he who came from the battle, and I fled today from the battle line. He said, What happened, my son? So the messengers answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines. There's been a great slaughter among the people. Also, your sons Hophni and Phinehas are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. And it happened when he made mention of the ark of God that Eli fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died, for the man was old and heavy. And he had judged Israel for 40 years. Kings, priests, a soothsayer that would turn from God. The glory has gone. The child would be born Ichabod. God's presence, his glory gone. The Ark of the Covenant taken. 4,000 men, Phinehas, Hophni, as well as Eli are dead, for they had led God's people away from him. Sin has a great cost, a consequence. The sins of Achan caused the Israelites to lose the battle of Ai. The sins of David with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband Uriah the Hittite caused harm to David and his family. David would later be chased out of Israel by his son Absalom. Absalom would lose his life. David was never again quite the same king, but as we heard on Wednesday nights in Psalm 51, we can see that in repentance he comes to God. And pours out his heart and is honest and open before him. He was never the same king, but he became the sweet psalmist of Israel. Paul writes again in 1 Corinthians 10. Now all these things happened to them as examples for us. And they were written for our warning or admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands... Take heed lest he fall. A warning from God. Back to Balaam as we start to close this morning. We covered a lot of scripture. Micah chapter 6 verse 5. 
33rd book of the Old Testament, towards the back. Micah chapter 6, verse 5. O oh, my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, counseled, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, from Acacia Grove to Gilgal, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, listen, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And this is a tremendous scripture because in the midst of it, God encapsulates all the things that are required of us. That we would do what's right in his eyes. That we would love mercy. That we would be humble and walk humbly before him. The picture of Jesus. And when we sin, we go to the Father in repentance. We turn from it. We submit to God like James Wright. We resist the devil and he will flee. That we may know the righteousness of God. Do what is right in the eyes of God and walk humbly with your God. This is what God requires. Three more verses on Balaam. Second Peter he's spoken of chapter 2 verse 14 and Balaam is in the scripture so often because God is warning God's giving a warning the same with Jeroboam the warning that God has given just like a father I know the warning that I gave my children many times so they wouldn't get hurt right don't run out in the street you know you could get run over you know would have to give them a whack on the butt you know so that they don't do that but it's the heart of a father for his children. And this is what we're seeing here. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 14, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, enticing to entice someone or to leading others away, unstable souls, they have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. Listen, they have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. This is a warning to false teachers. Some of them may be smooth talkers. Balaam went for the treasures of Balak. He went for the money. He led God's people away from God. And this is a warning to those teachers that would do that. And there's a warning to the apostates, the false Christian in Jude 1. And there's only one chapter in Jude, so we can follow that. In Jude chapter 1, verse 4. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Woe to them, listen, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. And so for the fake Christian, you know, for those that have never been changed by God, those that continue on in their sin, have never been moved in their hearts by Jesus Christ. 
And finally, Balaam is mentioned in the book of Revelation. Jesus is speaking to the church of Pergamos, a compromising church. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 14, he says, But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. When Balaam counseled Balak, he taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. The stumbling block was connected with idolatry, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to sexual immorality. He helped set the Midianite women before the men of Israel so they would sin and remove God's covering. The church in Pergamos showed they had tendency towards both idolatry and immorality, and Christ warns them. The destructive force of sin in the lives of these men, as well as those they led astray in Balaam, in Jeroboam, in Eli, in Hophni, in Phinehas, in Achan, in David, a man after God's own heart. Yet the sins that were committed with Bathsheba, although they were forgiven, there were still consequences that fell with them. Many other, Paul writes of Demas, who was a fellow laborer of Paul's, yet Paul would write, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. Now, he didn't lose his salvation. He was a fellow laborer, but he walked away from Paul. While Paul is writing this very last book, he's facing death. And now Demas figures, you know what? I signed up for a lot, but not for death. And so he leaves. And he departs, having loved this present world. The Lord hates sin. Isaiah the prophet writes, But your iniquities have separated from you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And this is why God hates sin, because it takes us away from him. We're led away in bondage, and he knows it separates us from him. The destruction it will cause in a family through pornography or fornication or adultery or divorce or children suffering as a family divides in drug addiction and alcoholism, in hatred and anger and bitterness, and families are destroyed. And as a father, we can lead our families into sin. You're the priest of the house. Take heed, hear the warning, guard your family, priest. These are examples that God has taken note that we should look at so that we don't fall ourselves and lead our families away. You know, son, don't drink, but yet I have a liquor cabinet full of liquor in front of them. Don't do drugs, but I'm doing drugs. And we are an example for them. And we are the priests of the home. And I pray, God, that we would stand up and be close to the Lord and to lead our families. Sin leads us away from our Father. Like Adam and Eve would hide, they try to cover themselves and run. We hide from Abba, our Father, the one who loves us. Is there known sin in your life today? Has it caused you to hide from God? Has it robbed you you of your intimacy with Jesus? With your Abba Father, are you like Balaam leading others into sin? Maybe your girlfriend, maybe your boyfriend, your children. I want to encourage you to stop. I want to encourage you to lay it down. 
I want to encourage you to repent and come to Jesus with it. This is why God hates sin. It grieves our Father's heart as we're led away in bondage and shackles away from him. And I'm a father. When my children hurt, it grieves me. How much more our Heavenly Father, the perfect Father, as we are taken away in bondage, as we are led away from him, does he grieve? He loves you. And he cares for you. And he grieves for you. And Jesus intercedes for us. You know, we know this scripture from Jeremiah 29 quite well. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Do you know the context of these scriptures? God spoke them to the children of Judah. While they were in exile in Babylon, they had worshipped false gods. They were warned, yet they still continued. But this still is God's heart for them as they're captive in Babylon. He says, I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. God's thoughts, his plans toward you here now are filled with hope and they're filled with a good ending, believer. Call upon him. Pray. He will listen. Seek him with all your heart. You will find him. That's a promise from God. And I just want to go through a few scriptures of God's heart toward you and I. Jeremiah chapter 2, I remember you, God speaking. He says, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal when you went after me in the wilderness in a land not sown. The psalmist writes, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book they were all written. The days fashioned for me. When as yet there were none of them. God knows you. He loves you. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. God loves you and he is for you. Again, the psalmist writes, Psalm 56, You number my wanderings. You put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? And so he holds your tears dearly in his book. And in the bottle, you're in his book. Your tears in his bottle. Malachi 3.16 says, And those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him. For those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name, his book of remembrance, you made the photo album. I can remember as my children were born, going around where I worked with the pictures and just showing everyone, look, look at this. Look what God has done. Look, look at our kids. And this is God's heart towards you. You made the photo album. He's a God of remembrance and he has a zeal for you. Yes, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I've drawn you. God loves you. You made the photo album. 
Your tears are in his bottle. And as a father, he wants to protect you and to be your banner, right? Your strong tower, your rear guard to watch behind you, your place of refuge, your almighty fortress as we sung this morning. Can we fall? Yes. That's the warning. Take heed. Proverbs, for a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. Are there consequences to our sin? Yes. Some extremely destructive. Some that can cost lives, destroy our families. This is the warning that God doesn't want us to get into. Is there a remedy for this? Yes. It's in John 15. John 15, 1. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Maybe you're in some kind of sin. You can come to God and say, listen, Father, you said every branch in me that does not bear fruit, you would take away. I'm asking that you'd remove this pornography. I'm asking that you remove this fornication. I'm asking that you'd remove all this, Lord. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. And this is the remedy. Time with Jesus. Abiding in him. Remaining in him. And my question is, are you willing? Are you willing to sit at his feet and do what the thing is is most needful? To have intimacy with Jesus. It's not your trying harder. It's never going to work. Christ is your overcomer. Not you. He is. And that's why he says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. It is the daily abiding in Christ that overcomes sin. The love of Jesus Christ for you. That says this that Paul writes in Philippians. I can do all things through who? Through Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Will you stand with me this morning as I pray?